Cliff mentioned, we go way back. Uh, in fact, he met me when I was about 12 years old. And I gave my life to the Lord when I was 10 years old as part of a church that he happened to be on staff at. And here's how our relationship got started. Cliff was a youth pastor. I finally made it to the youth group. And he wanted to uh, start this discipleship process. Now, how many 12-year-olds do you know that don't want to jump at the opportunity to meet with someone to study Scripture? I was one of them. Oh, well, and Cliff knew that, but Cliff was a genius. You see, Cliff knew that there was one thing that I was passionate about. There was one thing that I knew everything about. There was one thing that I was like redneck to the core about, and that was professional wrestling. And so Cliff knew that, like, I, woo, that's right, Cliff knew that I loved Ric Flair, Wahoo McDaniel, Nikita Koloff, the Four Horsemen, all them boys. And so I'm like, I don't know, Cliff, that discipleship sounds kind of lame. He's like, well, how about this? How about this? How about we watch an hour of wrestling, and then we'll do discipleship? It's like, deal, brother, deal. Way to sell me. So he sold me on that. But he, here's a story I want to share with you. Uh, so Cliff mentioned we go back some 20 years. Well, 20 years ago, I remember this particular instance, Cliff came to my house and he picked me up. He's going to take me to lunch. Take me to lunch before we did discipleship. So I think he and Sherry were very newly wed, maybe a year, year and a half. And so anyway, we go to lunch and we have to get gas on the way home. So we pull into this gas station and he's pumping gas. And let me just tell you, your pastor now, he's a good looking man. I mean, he's handsome. He's handsome. 20 years ago, 25 years ago, this dude belonged on a poster. Did, Did he not, Sherry? Sherry says he still belongs on a poster. She's lying. But, but he belonged on a poster at that point. Um, and so Cliff was a good-looking good dude. And so I'm sitting there. I'm 12. Cliff's pumping gas. And, and beside us pulls up this car. And I'll never forget it. I remember like it was yesterday. This car pulls up. And I, I'm guessing they're college-age girls. I don't really know. I'm, I'm guessing they are. But they take one look at Cliff, and they start drooling and laughing and giggling. True story. I, I, I promise. I promise. True story. And, and here's what I remember about Cliff. You're a pastor. His eyes never, never strayed from that pump. I mean, those girls are laughing and giggling and drooling. And he gets back in the truck after, you know, with, with, withstanding this torture. And he gets in the truck. He says, watch this. I'm like, oh, boy. And, and so I'm in the passenger side. Cliff's in the driver's side. And he has this gray pickup truck. Uh, and he's got his hand right here. And he starts making the motion like he's rolling up the window, you know, like the old school cars. And so he's rolling up the window, but he's not really. And he's moving his hand up. And he goes, he points to the wedding ring. He, he never looks at the girls, puts the car in gear, and pulls off. And he says, I get that a lot. No, no, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm kidding. That, that, part was, that part was a joke. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I, I'm just kidding. That, that part was a joke. Uh, but, but here, you know, that was a true story, I think, of that part. And here's where I remember being a 12-year-old boy. Cliff taught me what it looked like to love Jesus and love your wife. You know, and I just wanted to, like, let you in. On that little picture of your pastor, it just speaks volumes to his heart. Sherry and Cliff kind of uh, were the first people to ever really disciple me uh, as part of a youth group. And so it was just, uh, they played a huge role in my life. And I just wanted to say you guys have a great leader and a great pastor. And I hope you, uh, hope you guys see that. Um, nonetheless, 20 some odd years later, I find myself planning a church and preaching at, at his home church, which is an honor and I'm, I'm thankful to be here. People ask me all the time, Adam, why in the world did you plant a church? Because I spent 10 years in corporate America, and man, I was chasing the American dream, and we were, we were achieving the American dream. Life was good. I was working with youth, much like Cliff would do, uh, really serving my local church, and God's like, Adam, I want more, man. I want more. And, uh, you know, here's the cool thing. God just uses people who have no idea what they're doing, uh, and he does some cool things. Please don't tell anybody at Restoration I said that. I got them all fooled. Uh, but God is doing some really cool things. Uh, and so after I tell them, hey, well, well, the reason I planted a church is because 
God called me to do it. He, he put a burden on my heart. I couldn't shake it, and I have to be obedient. And so after I tell him all that, here, here's some other things I tell him. I, I like to give stats, right? And everybody kind of resonates with stats. So here's some stats for you. Uh, North American Mission Board says this about the state of South Carolina. The North American Mission Board says that in the state of South Carolina, they have an unchurched population as a state of 75%. That means out of 100 people, 25 are actually in worship somewhere this morning. 75 people are anywhere but worship. Now, you guys here in Spartanburg County are doing an amazing job, and I kid you not, one of the best in the state. You guys have an unchurched population of, I believe, 72%, which means 28 out of 100 people are in church. Phenomenal. Of course, that means 72 aren't. But for me, in Berkeley County, in Hanahan, North American Mission Board tells me that out of 100 people on any given Sunday morning, 92 out of 100 are sitting at home somewhere or somewhere other than worship. So eight people out of 100 in my city, in my county, are worshiping the Lord. So, so why do I plant a church? Well, because the, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. There's a huge harvest out there. There's a huge harvest out there for you guys in Spartanburg County. Our mission at Restoration Community Church, um, we're working on our mission statement a little bit. We had one, and I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm not a wordsmith. You're about to find that out over the next hour and a half or two hours or so. Ah, haven't lost you yet. Haven't lost you yet. Uh, so, so anyway, here's our mission. Here's our mission at Restoration Community Church. We simply want to make disciples of Christ. We want to look at that 92% of people, and we want to cause them to follow Christ. We want to cause them to fall in love with Christ. And then we want to equip them so they'll go out and do it themselves. So we want to we make disciples who make disciples. And, and we get that from Matthew chapter 28. If you grew up in church, you, you know this, like the back of your hand. It's this. It says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Now, here's where the challenge for us comes in. Because we're eight months old, as Cliff said. We launched in January. January 6th is when we had our first service. And God's done some really cool things. He's grown us in numbers. He's grown us. We've seen several people come to know the Lord, which is, you know, the mission. And so God is doing some really cool things. But we've also started to experience some challenges with our people. We started to experience, uh, the, I, don't know, I don't know how else to describe it, except for when we first started, we had this, this team, and we were all on mission together for those 92% who didn't know the Lord. And now, like, ever since we started this Sunday worship service, it's like some of our team, they, they packed up their, their, their ball and their pom-poms and, and, or whatever, and they've gone and they're sitting in the stands. And they're coming every Sunday. I mean, they're worshiping with us. or giving us good attendance numbers. You know, we like to brag about that. I mean, they're here on Sunday. But man, they're not, they're not on the mission field. They've, they've gone and just kind of became spectators of the mission. And so my challenge for you today, or my question for you today is this. Are you an active participant on the mission or just a spectator in the crowd? After talking to Cliff a little bit and and going on your website, uh, I know that your mission here at Freedom is to help people discover, or helping people discover the true freedom only Christ can give. Helping people discover the true freedom only Christ can give. Now, I love that mission. I love it. And and I also love how you're going about it. Growing toward Christ, developing real relationships. I imagine that's inside and outside of the church. And and, and loving people. I mean, that's phenomenal. That's that's awesome. And that's it. It's like nailing it on, on the head. But here's my question. 
Is that, is that Cliff's mission and Donnie's mission? Or is that your mission? Are you part of that mission? Or are you just kind of rooting these guys on? You see, I think in church sometimes we fall into this little trap of having this, this hierarchy of ministry. Right, like, so you guys, which is where I was about a year and a half ago, you guys are, are like the lay people, right? You, you're, you're just here, right? I mean, you pay and pray, and you get out of the way so that Donnie and Cliff can kind of do their thing, right? I, I mean, after all, they're paid to be good. You guys are good for nothing. I, I, I mean, honestly. And, yeah, still got them. Still got them. Good, good. Haven't lost them yet. And, and then we get, like, missionaries, right? These out-of-town missionaries that come in and eat bugs and, and wear clothes from 1983, and we think they're, they're amazing. Uh, but, but, but here's the deal. Here's the deal. We're all on mission. God has called every single one of us. If we profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he's called us to be part of mission. Are you on it? Before we, uh, before we jump into the word, let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity and the privilege to be a minister of your word. Lord, I just pray that you would um, keep me from error, help me to protect sound doctrine. Lord, I pray that, the, uh, that your truth would, would leave my mouth and land on the hearts of everyone here. Lord, I love you, and in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, uh, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to be in Peter's epistle, the first one. And here's a little thing about Peter, just to kind of give you a brief kind of introduction into why he's writing this, who he is. So Peter, raise your hand if you ever heard of Peter. Good, good, just getting some blood flow to the body. That's all I'm doing there. Good. So you've heard of Peter, and so Peter, before he met Christ, is just like you and me, right? He's just like you and me. He's working a regular job. He's busting his butt. He's not perfect. And then he meets Jesus, and he says, Jesus says, Peter, hey, Peter, listen, I want you to drop everything. I want you to drop your your paddles. I want you to leave the boat there. I want you to come be on mission with me. And so he spends the next three years of his life or so learning from Jesus, doing life with Jesus. And here's the coolest thing I love about Peter. Peter still, after three years of, of being with the Lord, He's not perfect. He's still got this hot temper. He still acts before he thinks. He he denies Christ, something you and I do probably weekly, if not daily. And Jesus still looks at him in his grace and his mercy. He says, hey, Peter, on you, I'm going to build my church. On you, I'm going to build my church. What an awesome privilege. Uh, And and then later, Peter finds himself writing a letter to, to you writing a letter to me, writing a letter to people who profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he's writing a letter to the church. Now, the church has kind of got tired. They're being persecuted. And so Peter's saying, hey, guys, listen, we still got a mission. We still got a mission. Here's what he says. First Peter 4, verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply. Uh, this isn't the message, but what I loved about this verse right here is what Peter's saying is it's going to take hard work to love each other. I mean, you can look to your left and to your right behind you and in front of you, and what Peter's saying is, look, you're all a bunch of imperfect people. It's not going to be easy to love one another. I mean, after all, you've got to put up with Cliff. You've got to put up with Donnie. You've got to put up with, with Spurlock. They have to put up with you. I mean, it's going to be like hard work, but Peter says love one another deeply because love covers a multitude of of sins, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now here we are. Here's the text for the day. First Peter four ten. Each of you, each of you, should use whatever gift you have received. Now I looked up the Hebrew there. Or, I'm sorry, look up the Greek there on each of you. And here's what each of you means in, in Greek. Each of you, every single one of you who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has received a gift. Now, why does Peter stress this when it seems so obvious? 
Well, here's why. Because when you look in the windows of most churches, it's not what you see. We even have a, we, we have a nickname for this. We call it the 80-20 rule. 20% of the people of the church do 80% of the work, right? We, we, we have a nickname for it. And Peter's saying, listen, each of you has received. And, and I like how he puts the emphasis on the past tense. The day you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you received this gift. We call them spiritual gifts, right? The spiritual gift you have received to be an active part of mission and ministry. Keep going. Question, why would, why would we receive this gift? Why? What's the purpose? Is it so that I could get up here and teach and you can kind of say, wow, or so Cliff can get up here and teach and say, wow, look at that guy, or the band can get up here and play and be like, wow, amazing talent. Here, here's the deal. We've been given this gift, Paul says, for the common good, for the common good. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians twelve seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Good. Now, to each one, same thing Peter said, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So, so what's the common good? The common good is the mission of the church. Now, here he's talking about the big church, everyone who professes Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior on a global level. But here, at Freedom, you're given a spiritual gift for the common good, for the mission here at Freedom. First Peter 4.10, let's keep going. Each of you should receive, or I'm sorry, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. I, I love that. I love this, per, this point here, serving others. What Peter's saying is you don't just have this gift to stick in your pocket and use it when you want to. You have this gift for other people, to serve other people inside the church and outside the church. So let me just speak to this just for a second. Some of you might be here, and I don't know, maybe you're, you're, you're church shopping. I really have no idea who you are and what you're doing. I'm just honored to be here. But maybe, you're, maybe you're, you're church shopping. Maybe you're kind of visiting and you don't know. And so you're arguing with me and you're saying, you know what? I'm going to use my gifts as soon as I figure out what church I like best. <laughs> Wrong. Uh, and so here's what you need to be doing. You need to be praying, Lord, where do you want me to go? Where is the local body that you want me to be a part of to serve and grow? And so you're kind of waiting to use your gifts inside the church. And that counts. That counts. But Peter's also saying, use your gifts outside of the church for that 74% you're trying to reach, for the 92% I'm trying to reach. I'm going to brag about my wife a little bit. I have the world's greatest wife. I know Cliff would argue, but I have one of the world's greatest wives in the entire world. I mean, she loves Jesus more than she loves me, and that is awesome. I, I cannot thank her enough for that. She loves Jesus more than she loves our kids, and, and she's just an incredible mother, incredible wife. But here's one thing she does with her gifts. She has this gift to minister to women. My wife works uh, once a week as a labor and delivery nurse at, at the hospital by our house. And so she helps ladies at a very vulnerable time, very fun time, very, very exciting time of life, giving birth. And, and what she's able to do is she's able to use her gifts to minister to these ladies, oftentimes who are far from God, because she's using her gift on mission outside the church. And I just want to encourage you guys to do that. Encourage, encur- I, I want to encourage you to look at Monday through Saturday, as being part of the mission field, as being part of the mission here at Freedom so that you can reach those last 72, 74%. Listen, God has called you to be part of a body. Paul, Paul uses that analogy. He used the analogy of a church and, and the human body, and he's called you to be part of a connected, a, a connected member of the body. Check this out. Um, sorry, sorry, hang on. It's uh, 1 Corinthians 
12.18. I apologize for that. But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them. Let me read that again. 1 Corinthians 12.18. But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them. Here's the deal. If you're here at Freedom Fellowship, God has brought you here for a purpose. He's brought you here not to consume on Sundays, but to be part of the mission, to be part of the mission. You see, in our culture, in the South, I don't know, maybe it's everywhere, but in the South particularly, we have this culture to where church is like a show on Sunday. And if you don't like this particular show, well, you just go to the next show next week and see if you like that one a little bit better. And Paul's saying, man, you got that all messed up. You got that all messed up. You see, we see that example in Acts where Paul wanted to go somewhere and the Holy Spirit says, no, go here. And you and I need to be praying each and every week if you don't know where you're at, where you're supposed to be. Lord, where do you want me to be connected to a body so that I can serve and be part of the mission and ministry? Anybody know where Clinton, South Carolina is? Clinton? Yeah, yeah, all right. I had an uncle. His name was Uncle Nub. Uncle Nub was from Clinton, South Carolina. Yeah, more on that in a minute. So Uncle Nub uh, worked at the cotton mill uh, in Clinton, South Carolina, as long as I can remember. He's since gone to be with the Lord. Uh, But I've known Uncle Nub since I was a little kid. And so one day, uh, we were at a family reunion up in Clinton, and Uncle Nub retreats to the den to watch the Braves game because he's kind of tired of the family festivities. And so am I. And so about seven or eight years old, I'm like, I'm going to follow Uncle Nub and watch the Braves. And do you remember, like, when you were young, how you would, like, study old people? Right? And so Uncle Nub's just sitting there on the recliner watching the Braves game, and he's older than dirt, and I'm just kind of looking at all the wrinkles and the hair coming out of his ear and his nose, and I'm just kind of studying him, studying him. And then all of a sudden, I see why they call him Uncle Nub. Like, he's missing, like, that finger right there. And he catches me looking at him. And he's like, want to know what happened? No, I don't want to know what happened. I'm leaving because you're freaking me out. He's like, I'll tell you. Super. And so he tells me, he's like, one day, one day at the mill, I got my hand a little too close to the machine, and the machine just ripped my finger right off. Like, Whoa, I'm, like, losing blood pressure to the head and about to pass out. And, and, and I was like, well, what happened next? He's like, well, I went to the doctor. They pulled the skin over the nub uh, and stitched me up, and I came back to work. He's like, so that's why they call you Uncle Nub. He's like, yep, that's why they call me Uncle Nub. He's like, well, what'd you do with the finger? Here's what he said, because this was back before they sewed him back on. He's like, what do you mean what I do with the finger? He's like, I was like, what'd you do with the finger? He's like, well, it was just laying there on the floor of the plant. It had been detached. He said, it was completely useless to me. What was I going to do with it? And some 25 years later, or 20 years later, I look back, and he said something real profound. He said, my, my finger had been detached from the body. It was just laying there, completely useless to me. If you look in the window of most churches, now I know freedom's the exception, but if you look in the window of most churches, isn't that kind of what you see? A bunch of dismembered body parts kind of piled together completely useless to the mission. See, we're all called to be in ministry. People ask me all the time, Adam, when were you called in the ministry? And sometimes I'll give them the wrong answer. I'll say 2009, 2010, I felt like God called me. But, but here's the right answer. The right answer is that in 1988, God called me and I gave my life to the Lord. And that day, he gave me what I needed to be on mission. He's done the same thing for you. He's called you to be on mission the day you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. So the question is this, are you functioning as a member of the body, or as one of my favorite authors says, consumers of religious goods and services on Sunday? 
See, even at Restoration, we, we, we do have some families who, who come in on Sunday, they consume, and we don't see or hear from them again until the next Sunday. And they consume. Are you asking, God, where do you want me to grow? Where do you want me to serve and be a part of this mission at Freedom Fellowship? All right, let's go. First Peter 4.10, let's keep going. So he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. I love that. I love that. As faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. Here's what Peter's saying. Faithful stewards. What does that mean? It just means good managers. Good managers of God's grace. Now, I know some of you uh, are here and you're hearing me, and you're part of that 20% here at Freedom. Maybe freedom's 30%, right? So let's just say you're part, you're one of those families who is here all the time, you're on mission, and you're like, amen, Adam, I hope everybody's hearing this. I want to talk to just those 20, 30% who are on mission. See, this is my opinion. Cliff can correct me in a few minutes or correct me next week, whatever. This is my opinion on this scripture right here. It's my responsibility as a good steward of God's manifold grace and wisdom. It's my responsibility as a good steward to look to my left, to look to my right, front and behind me. And if I see a brother or sister in Christ who isn't using their gifts, I believe it's part of my responsibility to take them by the hand and lead them to a place where they feel encouraged, where they feel strong and comfortable to use their, their gifts on mission. I believe it's part of my responsibility is to take that person on the sidelines and the stands and walk them down to the field of play. And here's why I say that. Because for years, I was the guy who didn't do that. I thought it was Cliff's job. I thought it was my pastor's job to do that. It, it's, it's, it's our job. It's our job to look at our brother and sister in Christ who isn't doing this, who isn't on the field of play, as a good, faithful steward of God's grace and bring them to the field of play on mission. Now, talking to, uh, talking to you guys who are in the stands, and you guys know who you are. You know I'm talking to you. Uh, and so if you are in the stands, and really, here's what I'd like to challenge you to do. Look back at your entire walk with Christ. Have you always been in the stands? Has there always been an excuse that you kind of stayed up in the stands and the crowd rooting those on who were on mission? If you are one of those folks, I think some of these reasons might be one of the reasons you stay there. I'm just going to go through them. Here we go. We're not going to go through all of them in depth, but here's some of the reasons that I hear all the time that people say, Adam, I can't be on the mission field. I can't be on mission. I need to be rooting you guys on. Number one, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I hear this a lot. Adam, I'm just not good enough yet, man. I'm, I'm new. I'm new to the faith. I'm a new believer. I'm not good enough to be on mission. Another one I hear is I don't know enough. I don't know enough about church. I don't know how it works. I don't know enough about wiping babies' rear ends or, or teaching babies. I don't know enough, Adam. So I'm just going to stay on the sidelines and consume. I got this one recently, and this one was motivated out of a pure heart. I really appreciated the guy's heart, but I believe it's one that we buy. This is a lie that we buy. This guy came to me and says, Adam, I really want to be involved. I really do. And I can see the genuineness on his heart. And he said this, but I still struggle with sin and obedience. I still struggle with sin and obedience. And, and I looked at him and I saw his genuineness. And I said, brother, I said, man, we all do. Your pastor still struggles with sin and obedience. Paul himself struggled with sin and obedience. It's that unrepentant sin. That's the only thing that would keep you from being able to come on the mission field. Get on the mission field. I hear this one a lot. I don't know the Bible like I should. And here's my favorite one. And if you ever want to see me get some righteous anger, just tell me this. If you ever move to Charleston and I ask you to be on mission, I don't have time. 
Woo-hoo-hoo. Brother, man, talk about having to repent. I have to repent when I hear this, this excuse. You see, I don't have time. Because here's the reality. All of us in this room, starting with me, starting with me, I'm looking in the mirror. All of us in this room, we make time for the things that are important to us. Period. Period. It's important to me to exercise. So at 4.45 in the morning, every single morning, I wake up because it's important to me at 4.45. If you want to be on mission, you'll make it happen. If you want to be on mission, if you want to be obedient, you'll make it happen. You'll change some of those priorities around. You'll get it in line. I don't have time. Mm. Now, all of these, if you look at them, sorry, all of these are lies we buy from Satan. And here's why I want to point this out. You see, because if we, can, if we buy these lies, if Satan can get us to, to, to say, you know what, I'm not good enough. I don't have time. I don't know the Bible. Those are all lies that he tells you to get you to sit in the stands and not be part of the mission. And here's what I tell you. If he can get you to sit in the stands, you may not even be struggling with sin. You just sit in the stands. He has rendered you ineffective for the mission, and he's won the victory. He's won the battle in your life. He's rendered you ineffective. One of the reasons we we buy those lies is this next verse. Either we don't know this next verse, or we don't believe this next verse. 1 Peter 4.11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. Listen to this. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, I love this part, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. You see, one of the things we don't believe, or maybe we just don't know genuinely, is that those gifts, those spiritual gifts are given to us for the common good. They're given to us for the mission, but they're powered by God. And I'm going to be real honest with you. When God called me to church planting, I gave him every reason under the sun why I would not be successful and why I could not do it. And he said, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. He said, trust me. I'll do the work. You just be obedient. And let me just tell you from some testimony. My wife will tell you, she supports me, she loves me. I honestly don't know what I'm doing. But all I know is that God has gifted me and God has called me to do this. He's called me to be on mission and he's done the same thing to you. Maybe it's not planning a church, maybe it's leading the nursery. Maybe it's leading a life group. I don't know what he's called you to do, but I guarantee you he's not calling you to sit in the stands and consume week in and week out. Will you be obedient and will you trust the Holy Spirit will power that gift for you to be effective on mission and in ministry here at Freedom. You see, a lot of what I see is a lot of folks in church, we want to come in on Sunday, and we want that Holy Spirit to show up, right? We want the Holy Spirit to make us feel this emotional high, this spiritual high, and if he can just give us that emotional, spiritual high on Sunday, I'm good to go for the rest of the week, and God has given me just what I needed. It's not the only purpose the Holy Spirit serves. The Holy Spirit should move you to action in ministry, not just consumption. Are you a connected member of the body on mission here at Freedom? Or are you just a spectator of those who are on mission? I want to close with one story, one quick story, and we're we're done. In 1995, uh, my senior year in high school, I decided that it would be a good idea to go out for the senior football team. 
Never played a down of organized football in my life. And in fact, I was the kid that if there was a pickup game, like in the yard of my neighbors playing football, like I would walk the other direction so I wouldn't get recruited because I didn't want to get hit. And, and so I marched in the marching band my freshman, sophomore, and junior year. But for some reason, I thought, you know what? Senior high, senior year, going out for the varsity football team. Now, the timing was right because it was a, a rebuilding year, and we had lost a lot of athletes. And so because I had blood running through my veins and air in my lungs, I made the team. And, and so it was like, I don't know, we get there on, and you know, I guess it's August is when you first start. And so we get there on that August day, and we're looking around, and we're like, I'm looking a little thin on talent. And one thing we noticed was that some of the guys who were bigger, faster, and stronger, some of the athletes who were still in school, they opted not to play that year because they knew that the mission was going to be hard. The coach, nonetheless, looked at us, 28 players or so, and he says, guys, listen, here's the mission. The mission is to win the division championship. Now, we're looking at each other and being like, yeah, right, ain't no way that's going to happen. But he's like, the mission is to win the division championship. So we're like, all right, here we go. So the first three games happened. Let me just say this. The first three games were very telling of the season. We lost most, most games by 40 to 50 points. And, and so we were 0-3, and we started seeing some players quit. The mission was all, was all of a sudden too hard. The games were, were too hard. And so here's some of the guys, the best on the team, bigger, faster, stronger. They joined the other guys who were still in the stands. And that year, we proceeded to go 0-10. We lost every single game that year. Every single game. We're the last hand-to-hand team to ever go winless. The last, the last team ever to not make the playoffs. The last team. I hold that distinction. Very proud. Very proud. At the very end of the season, the last four or five games, we had 16 to 18 guys dressing out every game. 16 to 18 guys doing the work that was intended for so many more. 16 to 18 guys who were committed to the mission, who were getting crushed every week because we were doing jobs we weren't intended to do. That was a 160-pound offensive lineman who had never played a down of football in his life playing the line because the guy who should have been playing was in the stands. So we got crushed. I wonder, I wonder, sometimes I just wonder, would we have been able to accomplish that mission if all those guys who were in the stands on Friday night who were bigger, faster, and stronger, if they were on the field doing the jobs they were kind of created to do, doing the, using the gifts that they could use, would we have accomplished the mission? Here was the worst part about that. You say, what's worse than going 0-10 and, and holding that distinction? Well, here's the worst part. The worst part was showing up on Monday to school, and the same guys who had the gifts and abilities, who were bigger, faster, stronger, having those guys say, Adam, you know what you should have done on that play? Adam, you know what you should have done on this play? We're getting critiqued by the guys who, who aren't even on the field, who aren't even on the mission field, that they're telling us what we could have done better. I, there were several times I said, Bo, if you'd get out of the stands and onto the field, you'd be able to accomplish the mission. So let me just challenge you. Are you one of those guys in the stands critiquing everything else that's happening on the field when it's you who needs to be on the field? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you so much for freedom. Uh, and and, this, and this, 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 the leadership here at Freedom, I thank you for the heart uh, of this church, their love for you, their love for church plants, Lord, their love for the mission. Lord, I just pray again that your truths are, are landing on the hearts of those in this auditorium, Lord. And for those that have bought the lies of Satan, Lord, who have bought the lies that they're not good enough, they don't know enough, 
Lord, I just pray for those who, who have been in the stands for far too long. Lord, I pray that your word now will move them to action, will move them to the mission field, and that they too will be part of the mission and ministry here at Freedom. Lord, we love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.